0: Hi, I'm George Sewiov here for another Eastern Podcast with Steve the Big cat. Anderson and Brady the
1: world champion.
0: Ellison. <laughs> Brady is just back from an incredible fifth World Cup championship title victory with a, a huge victory in Moscow, Russia. And, Brady, this is the most incredible season that any of us have ever seen from an individual shooter in the recurve ranks. Uh,
2: any ranks. If yeah. you have a, a season like Brady's in recurve, a game that's almost sets you up to lose because there's brackets. Brackets are always tougher to win in because you're you're going against potentially a guy who's – Who's hot, right? And you, you, you got to have some luck to get through brackets. Yeah. And then beyond that, he's also facing the set system, even harder to win. You can shoot a better score and lose. So, so to win like he did this year, unbelievable. So we
0: could we could spend two hours just talking about it, but we got the man himself <laughs> here. So, <laughs> Brady, tell us. Uh, let's work backwards. Tell us about how, what Moscow what was. What was it like?
1: Moscow was an incredible event. Actually, they did a great job of. The finals venue itself is one of the best that I've seen. Just the way they had it set up and they thought forward and had the lights on all day, even, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon, they had the lights on. So if cloud cover went in and out or anything like that, like, especially on the recurse side, you had no problems with light changing really hardly at all. The biggest adjustment was from the practice field with the sun being far on our left as it was setting going into the lights but on that finals venue it was just it was insanely perfect and i was kind of lost the first match and then i just slowly got better and uh yeah ended up winning it and it was pretty sweet
0: so you're the only person that's ever won five of these you won you won your very first one uh it's the 10th one you've been to so five you're batting 500 at world cup finals which nobody else is close to (laughs) i mean you got to be stoked
1: yeah, it's pretty cool. And you know, I, I mentioned it to World Archer. I think it's neat because I won my first one 10 years ago. And now to win my fifth one, like a decade later, I, it's just kind of cool that I've been able to be on top and stay, stay this competitive for 10 years. And hopefully another 10
0: years will come. So, you know, it occurs to me, Steve and I have talked before about other events and how in some ways they're more significant than even the world championships because, you know, basically you're sending your your best three from a given country, which might not be all that good at a world championship. And, and in this case, it is the cream of the crop for this final. Is it more or less meaningful to you to have won this thing five times and to have won the world championship? I know you've been batting for a world championship for years and you finally got it, but... But how does it compare if it does at all?
1: Um, you know, I think the World Championships, because it was, it was like my first one and it was so special. I've been chasing it for so long. I think this World Championships meant more than my fifth win. But I do agree. I think overall, I think that winning the World Cup final five times, I think is, is harder. And to me, more special than winning the one world or winning another world, I should say. Um, just because, like you said, it is like you go there and every match is going to be tough. There's no give me's really, and it is the best shooters there and it's a quick hit and go home. Like, you don't have, you know, a ranking round and you don't have days to kind of get everything figured out before you start shooting eliminations. Like, you get there, you get four ends of practice on the venue, and then you go. Yeah. And, you know, you're either on or you're not.
0: And, you know, in this case, obviously, you know, things worked out. For the <laughs> fifth
2: time you were on. Yeah. It's uh, How many world championships have you been to, Brady? In just outdoor world uh, championships.
1: And, and let's
0: just count Recurve because, you know, you've also shot yeah. the uh, compound youth. Um, seven, nine, nine,
1: eleven. 13, 15, 17, 19,
0: seven. seven. of them. Yeah, yeah. That's – how many people have even been to one, much less seven? And how many people have won one? That's a much smaller number. I mean, it's just an incredible thing. Um, any, any tight moments uh, in Moscow? I mean, World Archery put together a pretty good – for those of you who don't know, World Archery has a uh, worldarchery.org website, which has a pretty good recap of what happened in Moscow. So we won't go into the details too much. But um, – You went up against Chef, and uh, you had a couple of tight moments there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would say the match against Chef was the, the hardest one. Kind of, I made a big mistake, and I was kind of like, yeah, this could be the momentum shift, and I may not be able to catch up. But lucky for me, the only bad arrow I had today was the same end that Chef's only bad arrow was, and it ended up being... Okay, and even though I shot that seven, he ended with the seven, and I still got the set. So the so momentum kind of stayed in my favor. So you,
0: have, so you had a wash on on the uh, mistake because he kind of did the same thing you did. Uh, yeah, I yeah. So I, I did hear that you had some physical uh, you had some physical trouble. You got a you know knot in your shoulder from all the travel and sleeping wrong. And did that affect you very much? You think?
1: Um, not too much. I had to adjust my my kind of just the angle of the, my initial raising up of my back arm to keep the strength I needed because essentially like I had this uh, I think just from so many plane rides and just one hit after the other of this season you know I just got a, a knot where the muscles in the back of my back of my shoulder like right where I like to pull from yeah to get through the clicker just kind of tense up and it's it I can still shoot good but when I get nervous it's hard to keep my back elbow from shaking and then if I try to be too aggressive then I really start to shake so it's just kind of a balancing act there um you know I had the same thing happen in Tokyo and kind of in that stretch and it you know ended up being okay it's not a big deal it's just you're talking at the, at the test
0: of that you're aging yeah. body. <laughs> well, yeah, you might be aging for a gymnast or something, but for an archer, you know, the <laughs> metal game's getting stronger, so Yeah. So yeah, looking at the season overall, uh, recognizing you just came back from what would be a high point for anybody's career, but looking at the season overall, if you had to pick one thing, what would you say that was from the highlights?
1: The world record. The seven oh two. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone talks about that 700 and how hard it is. And, you know, in the recurve world, that's kind of like the magical, ah, mark, right? Yeah, and absolutely. And I had shot so many times in practice that when I finally got the weather, because I felt like I had the weather at World Champs too and I was close. I just made a couple of mistakes with it being Wolves. And, you know, I, I got the weather and we stepped on the field that day and I didn't know it, but Tom looked at at Jack when we walked onto the field that day and he's like, Brady's got the weather. I think he's going to do it. <laughs> and Tom, Tom Dillon said that? No, Tom uh, Stanwich. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay, your teammate.
1: Yeah, my teammate. And, you know, he's like, I think he could do it. And I walked up onto a line. And I said, if I start this thing in the middle, I'm going to get it today. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just felt good. And it was weird because that generally, you know, you get a little bit of jitter sometimes the first end. I was nervous the first three or four ends because I knew I was going to do it. I knew I should do it and still hung on. And I was ahead of the pace and then I shot that 56 in the last end of the first half. And I was, it put me, you know, on pace with the 700 instead of being at like a 52. And I was like, oh, I just made it so much harder to shoot stronger on the back half because we all know the longer you shoot, the more wind it's coming up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I just made it harder. I was like, "No, you know what? I don't care. Even if it gets a little windy, I'm still going to do this." <laughs> and I ended up shooting, I think 58 and then 60, 60. And once I shot those back to back 60s, like I got this. Now just pay attention, don't make a stupid mistake, and just kind of coast. And I was able to do it. And then the last third, I set up, I set myself up better than I had before. One time to break the record, I needed a 57 to break it. And I didn't think I shot my first three arrows fast, but apparently everyone else I really did. I shot the first three arrows in about 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And I shot 10, 10, 10. And I was like, okay, you got your tens out of the way. Now you just have to hold gold. Like the way you're shooting today, just fire in the middle and an okay shot's going to hit. And I was a little nervous, maybe a lot nervous. We're going to be completely honest about this. (laughs) <laughs> and like the, f- my fourth arrow, I went to put my fingers on the string and I, my fingers were shaking enough. I knocked the arrow off the rest. So I kind of had a reset. I drew back and I was like, just make it quick. And I fired and it was like nine and I'm like, okay, we're good. And then the fifth shot, I was shaking so damn bad that I could barely get my fingers on the string. And I was like, oh, like, why? And I just grabbed the string as hard as I could and just ripped it back, put the pin in the middle, and dumped it. <laughs> it was an awful shot, really. <laughs> it hit nine, and I was like, if those two shots hit nines, there's no way that I'm going to shoot an eight on this last shot. And I kind of calmed down. The pin fired right dead center. It was a good shot, and that one hit 10, and then 7.02.
0: Just speechless when we saw all that going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you had told me early in the year. Mm-hmm. You, you texted me one day and said, "I just shot a seven oh six indoors." I said, "Well, I I told George. I said, if Brady gets the weather this year, he'll do it." I, oh, he did. He it. said it. And uh, and then you know that morning, I think I was driving into work. And you guys were two hours ahead of us or three or something, and and uh, I saw the scores. I don't remember exactly how it played out I think I got into work and you were shooting your last end and uh, we, we watched each arrow come through and it was it was pretty cool but uh, yeah, it, following on the, the SEO system sometimes it'll, it'll get a little slow and you, you start to kind of cuss that a little bit because you're you're watching and it's moving along moving along then it just stops and our you don't our, know our, the comments, our
0: comment at the time was wow whoever it is is supposed to be inputting the stuff must be really
2: engrossed in this match because they've stopped doing their job and they're yeah. just watching brady and that happened in your world <laughs> championship final end too yeah, the exact same
0: thing happened the exact same thing happened there
2: yeah it was it was pretty funny i was i was watching and it went like brady 10 you know competitor 10 and then no arrows for a little bit. And then they put in two for him and I'm like, what happened to Brady? So yeah, they got, they got <laughs> behind because I think they were too busy watching you.
0: <laughs> so obviously Brady, just, you know, let's go back to the beginning of the season last year. uh And I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm talking out of school here because you and I had some talks about this situation last year. You had some problems because of um, an injury and Tell us what you did to overcome some of that, if you're okay with that, if you can talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, literally, I just, I had almost given up hope. Like, I almost quit last year indoor world championships. It was just getting to a point where I couldn't shoot, I couldn't train, I was frustrated, I knew I had so much left in the tank, I knew I was so much better of a shooter than what I was shooting, but I just, I couldn't. And Toya found this guy in Slovenia who's a bioenergetist. And we went to go have him work on my thyroid. And we got there, the guy's super awesome. And we got there and he's talking to me and he's telling me the things that are wrong with me and the things that he's gonna fix. He goes, you have a pretty bad injury in your right hand like it's causing you a lot of pain he goes we'll get rid of that by the end of the time you're here and i didn't tell him about it he just told me i had it and literally he treated me for three days and i haven't had pain in it since and as soon as that pain went away that was right before the world cup final last year and right before the final last year I shot like 300 arrows in a day and then 250 and then 400. And I hadn't shot that many arrows in a week in two years. And, you know, since then, like, I fought through some blisters and stuff from actually training again. And then, like, everything just came back. Like, all the mental stress and the mental pushing and just keeping everything as good as I could with the injury and fighting and fighting once I was able to start training – It just came out in an absolute fire this year. And I started shooting scores that, you know, most people thought were impossible. You know, I sat, I shot my personal best once this year, earlier in the year with a 712 outside, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And then, and then just kept going and going. And then right before we went to the finals, I was playing with some stuff, and I shot a three fifty nine for a half. Missed my last arrow, which I never in a million years would have dreamed that a recurve could shoot a three sixty at seventy meters. But I was close, so now that's a new goal.
0: Holy smoke! And
1: ended up shooting, and I ended up shooting a seven fourteen. Like I think uh, two days before I left for the finals, and you know those are just scores that really I really thought of. I didn't ever think of it. You know, I, I shot a 700 in the past and, you know, 702, 703, and you're like, man, that was just incredible. And now when I'm practicing, it's like, you know, the new mark for me that, you know, I want to shoot to 705, 708. You know, the 700, especially shooting inside, you know, I push a 700 every time I shoot indoors over there at Chula Vista, or even outside when it gets cold. So now it's trying to, you know, okay, let's hold a fifty nine average instead of a fifty eight average, and just keep pushing that bar higher.
0: So you're comfortable with those those levels of scores. That's got to make a big difference mentally.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Mm. I think I think once you do it a couple of times, and once you get comfortable with it, and then you wrap your head around it, and then it's like, okay, well we can do better than this. <laughs> yeah. And he just kind of keep pushing and he keep trying. You know, it's just like when everyone ran that four-minute mile. Yeah. You know, it was a mental block. And now everyone runs – like, if you don't run a four-minute mile, you're not anything anymore.
0: Right, And, and you know, that, you know, that analogy is a very guys. good one. No, but that, that's a perfect analogy. I think yeah. we'll see more 700-plus scores in the future because Brady Ellison is the Roger Bannister of archery now. You know? He the guy that's, yeah. that, that yeah, I mean, broke the four-minute mile.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think that it's been such a coveted mark, but now Kim shot a 700, you know, right on the button, and then I shot the 702. Yep,
2: yeah, you broke and it.
1: And I think now people are going to realize that, that we we can do it.
2: I'll, I'll say the last – it was kind of interesting to watch recurves go in four-year cycles because compound is – Typically, similar all the time, just because we're always competing for the same yearly type of stuff. But recurve, you you guys peak differently. Um, you know, more people come out of the woodwork towards the end of the well, towards the Olympics and World Championship years. And and I've watched top scores in men's recurve go from guys mostly shooting six eighties and a lot of times not even getting to that at World Cups to now you guys are hitting six nineties virtually. If the conditions are yeah. even fair, you guys are getting in the six nineties almost every time now. It seems like something in the last four, five, six years has has kind of changed a little bit, and it—I don't know if it's equipment or just the the mental barrier has been broken or, or what it is.
1: You know, I think I think a little bit of equipment. You really look at the arrow averages for the people that are shooting the new Hoyt bow. There's something about the new Hoyt, maybe the way the limb stacks. You know everyone's arrow averages went up from last year with the new bow um so i think you know technology is getting better but i think shooters are just getting better more consistent you know we're being a lot more scientific about this than we used to be and i mean you look at the arrow averages for this year and i was at a 9.53 arrow average for this season and Generally, the recurves are at, like, a 9.3. And at the final this year, everybody was over a 9.35, whereas most of the time, you know, that's your top average. You know, the Koreans are not at a 9.4 average generally at the World Cup final. And this year, I mean, just everyone was a tenth of a point higher to a 9.53. I mean, it's just nuts.
0: Yeah, it, it that speaks our to...
1: scores have jumped that much.
0: Yeah, it speaks to two things, I suppose. And one of them is also the fact that the conditions were reasonably good there, too, I suppose.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, but, you know, still, that's the season average.
0: No, you're right. The tide is higher. The tide is higher.
1: And, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's crazy. And I remember in the set system... You know, if you shot a 28 average, you won. Or you were close to winning. Like, that's where you wanted to be. If you could shoot a 28, throw in some 29s, you're going to win. You shoot a 28, now you lose. Yeah. You lose, it doesn't matter who you're shooting against. If you shoot a 28, you are tying or losing that set 60 to 80% of the time. Like, it takes 29s and 30s this year. I mean, heck, Sheffield and I shot that match this year. It was 147 to 145. And, you know, that's compound guys are doing that in women. Yeah. It's was, just we're starting, we're starting
0: to get there. And as a matter of fact, I think you're well served by your previous compound experience all those years ago because that mentality of, you know, hit the 10 is, you know, I mean, Steve, you can speak to this.
2: Yeah, I mean, you get, you're, you're kind of playing of the same ilk where you think I can't miss. It's not okay. It's not acceptable to miss the 10. You know, so yeah. the standard is is the ten ring, not just, oh, I'm going to try to make a good shot with good form and good technique, and I'll wave my bow around there and hope it goes in the middle, and maybe today it does, and maybe tomorrow it doesn't. Yeah,
0: and that's the big shift, I think, that we've had in in, in our sport in the last couple of decades is going from trying to hit the middle to can't miss, you know, you've got to have that, that attitude about it. Yeah,
1: definitely, and I also think, too, one like, the things that changed in my mind this year is, you know, I always, always used to have, if my pin fired in the middle and it was a good shot, it was going to get 9.5 or better, and I had to be okay with that. This year, something changed, and it was, if I fired that pin in the middle and it was a good shot, it was going to be inside the 10 line, not even close to touching it, 10.5 or in, and that really started giving me a little bit more room, especially aiming. You know, I can now shoot something that went off 10 line, and I knew it couldn't hit an 8, whereas in years past, if I went off 10 line, my acceptable variance was still left 8. And now, if I went off left 10 line, I could expect it to be just out, or it was going to fire right behind the pin. And I think that... I don't know what the difference is, but I think a lot of people start feeling that this year. Yeah. It's just that when you fire a good shot, it was going to be inside that tin, and there's no questions anymore.
0: So, knowing where your pin is when the thing goes off is also a little bit of a compound thing, you know, traditionally, right? <clears throat>
1: yeah. Probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I would say that uh, those three days in Slovenia certainly paid off.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it's putting been it mildly. An incredible experience.
0: So, what are you doing to get ready for indoor season, if anything at all, now that the outdoor is over? You're going to take a break, maybe go do some bow hunting. What do you got in mind?
1: Um, yeah, so we got we got Texas and the second stage of trials still.
0: Oh yeah, so, so it's not my over focus yet. Focus
1: will be on that, um, and that's in two weeks. All so my focus is on that. But I want to start building my hunting bow. And get ready. I'm going into Montana a week before Texas. I'll shoot with Chris Schaff for a week and then we'll start hunting after Texas. Um, Getting ready for that. Uh, Indoors, um, I'm actually decided to take a lighter indoor season this year Uh, just to continue shooting outside. Uh, I don't want to lose this feeling by shooting a bunch of indoor tournaments. Right. So I'm just going to. Um, and with the JVD that will be my first time I go there and then I'll go to Rome and Nimes and those will be the only international indoor events I hit and then everything else will be all the stateside stuff
0: you're Um, counting Vegas that way I presume
1: yeah and uh, uh, we'll we'll see how it we'll see how it goes Uh, a couple of new arrows that I'm excited to shoot you know the new aluminum arrow I think is going to shoot really good I still have this crazy inkling feeling, though, that the T64 is going to be, like, the best recurve indoor arrow ever made, <laughs> and I'm going to shoot a 600 with it, and then we're going to all start shooting hunting arrows off of traditional bows, <laughs> and and for indoor archery. So, uh, so,
0: this is the Eastern Target Archery Podcast. There's probably about two people on this thing that know what a T64 is. Steve, why don't you fill people in?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh... It's an fmj hunting arrow it's tapered from what we call six millimeter to four millimeter which so it's is a internal. radical taper yeah it's huge. but it's i don't know it's probably about a 20 it's like a, a 20 size aluminum on the front down to uh 16 16 on the back yeah or thereabouts so when when it was being conceived i said that might work better as a recurve target arrow and uh Grady thought the same way, so we'll see.
0: Yes, indeed, we will see. And um, so this takes us to the part of the podcast where yesterday I uh, posted up on the Eastern Target Facebook that we'd be talking to you, and predictably there are a few questions here, some of which are better than others. <laughs> you want to pick one, Steve? Um, I know which one I want to end with. Okay, we'll start with something else then.
2: <laughs> Let's go with uh... – Hmm. I saw one here. Who were your mentors in archery? Yeah, that's a good question.
0: All of us have somebody uh, that we're paying he, it forward for, right?
1: Yeah, Bush Johnson was probably my biggest mentor in archery, um, not only because he was my teammate for a long time, but he's the one that actually taught me how to set up the bows. I still set up my bows exactly the same way that he taught me. Um, he kind of showed me the ropes on the international scene and helped me get my mindset on what's acceptable what's not as far as you know what's realistic to shoot him and i kind of argued about what was actually realistic on scores a little bit but um overall he really just kind of jump started i feel like my career and showing me the ropes
0: very good Here's a, here's a brilliant question. The guy wants to know, what was your scope and peep setup?
1: <laughs>
0: Which is pretty funny. Mm, oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm running the, the InvisiPeep yeah. right now. Yeah. Careful. Don't tell anybody and, because uh, you're
0: not supposed to. That's still a secret, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, with the, the no power lens <coughs> and the, the shrewd aperture. There you go. <laughs> I think it's probably
0: like a five millimeter housing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so one of the <clears throat> one of the things you pointed out to us earlier is that for the better part of a year you weren't able to do the kind of volume that you've been used to doing in the past, and you're back up to some high volume. But um, one of the questions that somebody had was, uh, what do you do if you get into a situation where your focus starts to drift? while you're shooting those high volume. Do you have that problem at all?
1: Um, This year I did not because I was so freaking excited that I can actually go out there and shoot 500 arrows in a day and just be a little bit sore and the next day come out and shoot 350. That like, I was just so excited to be able to shoot my bow that many arrows again, that I would never lost focus. The only time that it became a little harder this year was when, you know, just got tired with the the season just wearing on me was the only time that it started to get a little bit tougher towards the end of the season.
0: One of the the questions we got was, what is it that that coach is telling you when you're up there on the line? Now, you don't have to answer this one because I, I know that there's some stuff that goes between archers and coaches, but some people are interested in, you know, what's going on. They can, you know, they mic the coaches at a lot of these World Cup events, and sometimes you can hear coach say stuff like angry eyes or focus the eyes or something like that is the question.
1: Yeah, um, it's really like he's up there because a lot of times, whether we want to admit it or not, when you get nervous, you lose the feeling of your body a little bit. And even if you're being 100% honest with yourself and you think it was a good shot, it might not have been. And, you know, that's just part of the nerves and losing your feelings. So he's really watching technique. And if you feel like a shot should have hit and you look back, you know, he's saying, no, you lost your eye focus. No, you need to do this. Yes, that was a good shot. Move your sight. Like, trust that. Um, You know, that was a big thing that really happened at, at World Championships. Like that first arrow, I came out and I fired and I thought it should have hit and it was a high hit. And I look back at him and he's just immediately, and it was one of the two times that he ever did it. Um, In the 10 years that we've shot together, he just looked at me and he said, move it. That was good, move it, like, full side into that. So it's really just, he's kind of becomes a feeling when you get nervous in that match.
0: Yeah, he puts you in the right place mentally and, and refocuses your effort, I suppose. Yeah. Which is all you can ask for from a coach in a situation like that, in my opinion.
2: So I think that uh, we kind of covered most of the questions. A lot of them were repeats. Yeah, you
0: know, Brady, uh, going forward, we're going to want to do another podcast with you, maybe on equipment setup or on uh, other topics that have to do with shooting. But uh, we've, we've burned up half an hour of your time now and uh, really appreciate it. But Steve's got something he wants to ask. La-
2: last question comes from our good buddy, Rob Larkins, who saved my life once. And he says, Brady, tell us a- – well, I'm going to paraphrase – Tell us about your facial hair changes throughout the season. Did they boost your confidence?
1: <laughs> so, uh, I started the season clean shaved because I had actually noticed when I had a big burly beard last year and I was shooting a compound, like Toya said, I had too much contact to go shave, and I said that she was being ridiculous. And anyway, with my improper Compound anchor point, I guess. I went and shaved and I hit like high left eight or something. It was actually an incredibly different and I started shooting better. So she told me that I need to be clean shaven. So I've kind of been clean shaven all year with the recurve and I actually do think that once, you know, your beard gets too long that it does start interfering. Um, she hates a mustache. So sometimes I'm a little ornery and I do a mustache when she's away. Yeah, we noticed. And when when we were at Pan Am's, I got these sweet set of aviator glasses, and I just felt like it needed a mustache to complete the look. <laughs> well,
0: you certainly did complete the look, my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and shot a world record with it, so obviously a mustache.
0: <laughs> so so we'll it'll remain to be seen whether a mustache will appear in Tokyo 2020 or not.
1: Uh, yeah, the wife is coming, so I'm gonna bet no on that
2: uh, no. I, I really missed a golden opportunity to preface the last question by saying I must ask you one more question. <laughs> <laughs> and then leading into the facial hair question. But. So
0: so here's the thing. If if uh you know if you are introduced at a tournament as and now the great mustachio, that might possibly incentivize <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, I think I think Toya would have it come apart.
0: Well, we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to upset her because clearly she's the key to your victories. There's no doubt about that that she's you guys have, have been a team in my mind.
1: Yeah, definitely. I couldn't be doing all this without her support and everything that she's doing.
0: All right, well, Brady, back in Arizona safely after trotting the globe for the past few months. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Here on the Easton podcast, buddy.
1: Yeah, thank you guys so much. I had a blast.
2: it's
0: always fun talking to
2: Brady. Yeah, he uh, always has some you know insightful stuff to say, and then you know cap it off with uh, the the mustache insight. <laughs> the mustache was so classic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, you got a you got a ton of stuff coming up on the calendar for competition season as the indoor starts to
2: roll around. What's your plan? Well, I'm moving the end of this month i guess the house is already uh underway it's almost done wow yeah it's been like i don't know it's taking a long time so am gonna do that i'll have my own indoor range which would be sweet so i'll practice a little more maybe and then uh yeah i think we open up the indoor season with kings of archery so that's like mid mid-October, I want to say, I leave or mid-November. Eindhoven, Netherlands? Um, Somewhere around there? Thereabouts, yeah. yeah. So it's a cool, cool tournament. I really enjoyed it last year. I wish more tournaments could be run like that, but I, I get that.
0: Now, when you say run like that, do you mean the way that the tournament is done, uh, the rules, or do you mean the organization, or do you mean a combination of those things?
2: I'm thinking specifically just the shoot-off format. Like okay, how, tell us about it. Well, it's... Um, yeah, it's basically a Vegas tournament, right? So you shoot a nine hundred, make the shoot off, and then I get that Vegas itself has its limitations on presentation because of scoring and judging and TV and all that. but well, they choose to, yeah, there's ways around it that they could they could take. And Kings of archery basically puts a guy out there who he's the MC. He's down there and he walks the line. If he if you've got a thirty, he just calls it a thirty. There's no need for three judges. If it's close, he stops. In the crowd So if there's fifteen guys in the shootoff, it's George 30, Steve, 30, Brady. Ooh, let's look at look at this one. So then the crowd goes, Oh, here we go. You know, and then they kind of focus in. And then you can send a judge to look. Right. And Because the shooters are gonna keep him honest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everyone everyone's looking at everybody's stuff. Everyone knows what everybody's got. So it was just a really fun shoot off Um, you know we got these cool aluminum cutout crowns with 900 on there you know kings of archery crown and that was that was a cool thing for making the the shoot off so they go on your head no it's actually it's just like a a it would look
0: like a Burger King promotion
2: yeah it's more of just a you know flat piece of aluminum and they uh, you can put them on a little stand or pin them to your wall or whatever but so we'll start there and then I don't know what I'm going to do this indoor season yet. I don't know if I'm going to go anywhere. I don't think I'm going to shoot any of the uh, World Cups. And, uh, yeah, so it be kind of a standard indoor season. We'll shoot a few events early on and then head into uh, Iowa, ATA Show, Neem, Lancaster, Vegas, and then we'll suffer through another month of it and uh, shoot indoor nationals. There you go. <laughs>
0: Tell us about the process uh, for Steve Anderson getting ready for indoor season coming from outdoor. Um,
2: I'm going to set up some new equipment. And this year I'm going to just do it. I'm going to go back to how I used to do it. I, You know, the past few years I've been measuring everything out, and I'll set up a new bow and get it to the exact draw length of what I had been shooting previously and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not so, sure, so certain that I haven't migrated from that. So – I'm just going to go back to shooting higher volume of arrows and adjusting as I feel I need to adjust. So I'm going to be a little more quick to make adjustments, um, and you can do that when you're shooting a lot and you can see see more of what works and what doesn't. But you know, from from indoor to outdoor, if I were taking my outdoor bow and just setting it up for indoor not a ton of changes. Usually your peep height needs to change a little bit and everyone forgets that. So they end up shooting the first good bit of indoor season just scrunched up behind their peep because just the nature of where your scope sets and and all that. So usually your peep has to come up a little bit and it gets you in a little more comfortable head position, more natural anchor point, and then your shots fire easier and everything works out better. But everyone forgets that for a good few weeks and uh, struggles, so. I'll do that, you know, change the blade out and go to Big Arrows and tune from there. Kings of Archery, do they allow 27s? Yeah, it is. So it's kind of the kind only of – The only, the only place besides the only Vegas major tournament and Lancaster? Outside of the U.S. Lancaster allowed? Yeah. Lancaster, so outside the U.S. though, that's the only one. It's the only major tournament that shoots with it, yeah. I mean, it's the only it's – the, it's the biggest tournament outside the U.S., I do believe. Um, I could be wrong. There's probably some – Like, I think Japan Indoor is pretty large, right? Yeah. But. How many show up for Kings now? I want to say it was like 11 or 1200 last year, but I. You know, it sold out in like two days? I think it sold out in like a couple hours. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and it was. They're doing it right. They're
0: doing something right. Yeah. It's a. It's the same way way Rob Cofold is doing something right with his event, you know, the the Lancaster Classic. It's. Yeah. You know, I would characterize those as. coming from elements of the industry but not the traditional you know organizing committee type bodies that put these things together right yeah exactly more of a commercial interest in a way which is great i think that's how it should go i would think yeah
2: it's uh you know and they're doing a little bit like rob does a little bit different format as his which people like and um has just grown and grown and grown you know used to all be shot in in the pro shop and now they're in a million square foot building or something so
0: that could happen with this one too yeah I
2: think Kings of Archery will continue to grow you know it's I think it'll get to a point where it has like Vegas an amateur class pro class and that it'll really take off but well we'll, and the fact that it
0: is sold out so you know relatively quickly and I think you're right by the way I think it was like a couple hours yeah Um, the fact that it's sold out so quickly either means that they can well three things right you cap it You raise the price Mm -hmm. or you go to a bigger place which may also mean you have to raise the price to cover the cost of the
2: event yeah and who knows how many people are you know on a waiting list they might have they might have done it just right and only have a handful of people who are hoping to get in but yeah i don't i don't know where they'll you know i know nothing about the netherlands really other than being a tourist there but if they'll move it to a bigger venue, where that would be? Well, there's a
0: huge exhibition center in Amsterdam, for example. That, yeah,
2: somewhere it seems. And like I don't mean the red light there. district either. <laughs> that's an exhibition that's center. for a sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what I meant.
0: But yeah, Amsterdam's got some big facilities, and I'm sure there's some stuff in Rotterdam and other places. But um, yeah, this one's uh, it's accessible. It's you know obviously well run. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a very great success going forward.
2: Well, and, and Europe needs that. They need uh, all all areas of the world need more competitive archery because I yep. see a lot of it as club level only, or they only shoot when it's like a a national tournament or something or or whatever. But indoors, especially, like when I go to to Bangkok and and I see them there, and none of them shoot indoors ever. And I always tell them like, hey, if you can get to that indoor world series event in Macau, just because it's it's good to be competing you know it makes you a better archer if you want to be competitive you got to if if being competitive in archery is your goal you've got to you've got to get to as many tournaments as possible and get comfortable shooting in that scenario if shooting and having fun and just being around it is your goal well then go to it and enjoy the the spectacle that that is a a, a large tournament you know and i think europe could eventually come to rival the U.S. in terms of major events. Right now, they're almost all over here, and I'd love to see more uh, spread across the world. Yeah,
0: and the other opportunity is, of course, also um, in Asia, where you have oh yeah a lot of growth in compound lately, and of course a strong you know uh, base of recurve shooters, and the opportunity to have you know a lot of people in a relatively short distance get to an event.
2: Mm-hmm. So Yeah.
0: yeah. It's, there's, uh, there's plenty of growth opportunity. And I uh, soon we'll be, uh, we'll be talking to Tom Dillon about that subject as well to see what World Archery is doing to help foster some of that stuff. So that'll be coming up in a future podcast as well.
2: And my guess is that the growth of archery really lives indoors. Because if you go to a Tokyo or a Shanghai, you know, it's tough to find a place to shoot outside. But you can find a 20-yard range, 18-meter range. They're, those are you – know, you won't find them now, but it, they are – much more easy, yeah, to obtain. Not, not,
0: not to be nitpicky. You're absolutely right about Shanghai, Tokyo. Not a good example because they've got something like 30 municipal yeah, outdoor ranges yeah, in Tokyo. Tokyo. But anywhere else in Japan, forget about it. Yeah, you know, Osaka's got like one range mm-hmm. for a city of nine million people. Right. So yeah, yeah.
2: So so pick your you know other large city in Asia, and yeah, y- it's, it's tough. tough to find a place to shoot outside. Yeah, so. unless
0: you're part of a an old university club and they let the OGs show up on campus and shoot, <laughs> yeah. which happens in Japan a lot. right? Um, yeah, forget about it. It's difficult. But, yeah, I think you're right, Steve. I think indoor is mm-hmm. is the growth mode, and um, it also makes it more reachable because you don't need to shoot a 60-pound bow. You don't need to shoot you know, thousands mm-hmm. of arrows to be competitive in
2: an indoor round. Yeah, I've always – I don't know. I, I always say that outdoor archery is best when you shoot it inside and <laughs> – I like the indoor season as well. It's just it's purely shooting, right? Yeah. There's no other factors involved usually. So, well, there it is. All
0: right. Well, listen, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to run the podcast today, and Brady Ellison, thank you for joining us today yeah. on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, we don't talk to him often enough. Uh, he's a great guy. Yeah,
2: we'd planned on what like 10, 15 minutes with Brady, and
0: well, you know, uh, we could have gone another hour. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll have an opportunity to do just that.
2: I mean, we really only touched on three parts of the of this year for him, and, and didn't he have a World Cup win as well? Yeah, yeah two we, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he had an yeah. outstanding season. Yeah, huge year. Huge. I, I don't. That's not one that'll be rivaled anytime soon. I don't nope. think. So. Hey,
0: how about our new digs? How do you like our new studio? This is nice. We're yeah. here in the uh, in the Jim Easton office at the uh, at the Easton Foundations, and. It has all kinds of archery
2: memorabilia. Yeah, I, I came in and started looking. At, well, archery and um, you know hockey and baseball from all the Eastern sports back in stuff. those days. Back so, in the day, yeah. Yeah, I, I started looking around. I only saw ten percent of it. So I'm gonna peek around a little bit more.
0: It's pretty cool. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to do a video about this place uh, pretty soon and put it up on Easton.com, com. Yeah. Uh, Jay and I were talking about doing that, and I think that that might be an interesting thing. Also, to tour the Foundation Library, which is uh, quite possibly the most extensive collection of books on the subject of archery, not to mention a bunch of artifacts.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of... I
0: and mean, you got stuff in there that's thousands cool, of years yeah, old. Yeah, cool, cool stuff. So, so we'll be showing some of that to the, uh, to the listeners of the podcast via video in the next few weeks. And um, yeah, you um, got any, any closing thoughts before we wrap up this one?
2: No, I've thought too much already.